Hello and welcome to WRI's Big Ideas Into Action podcast. I'm Nicholas Walton and in this episode we get the new figures for tree cover loss around the world in 2020. The overall picture is not good. These numbers are a climate emergency given the amount of carbon that tree cover loss releases into the atmosphere. But dig deeper and what do those numbers actually tell us about those areas of the world where trees are being lost at alarming rates and those where the story is more positive? Good news in Indonesia. This was actually the fourth year in a row that we see a decrease in primary forest loss. Every year, WRI's Global Forest Watch platform releases the data on how much tree cover was lost over the last year around the world. This satellite data refers specifically to the removal of tree canopy through both human and natural causes, with special attention paid to tropical primary forests. Later on, we'll have the analysis, but first, the basic picture. Here's Michaela Weiss, Project Manager for Global Forest Watch. So in this release, we're looking at the total amount of primary forest loss that happened in the tropics and also about tree cover loss in other parts of the world in the year 2020 based on satellite data. Overall, we're seeing good news in Indonesia. This was actually the fourth year in a row that we see a decrease in primary forest loss. And we also saw a 17% decrease in 2020 compared to 2019. In the Congo Basin, we saw sustaining high rates of primary forest loss and increasing in some countries. Cameroon had nearly twice as much primary forest loss in 2020 as in 2019. And the Democratic Republic of Congo similarly saw very high levels of primary forest loss and was the second most country uh, in terms of total primary forest loss across the tropics. We saw an increase in primary forest loss in Ghana in 2020 compared to 2019, but there does seem to be quite a bit of fluctuation there, in part because the area of primary forest in West Africa is so small. So it's, it's hard to say whether or not that's kind of a sustained trend. Um, so we'll really be looking more at the three-year moving average over time to really tell what's going on in that part of the world. Overall, in South America, we're seeing increase in some of the key countries in terms of primary forest loss. In Brazil, we saw a 25% increase in total primary forest loss compared to 2019. We also saw increases in Colombia and very high rates in countries like Bolivia and Peru. So we did see that most of the primary forest loss in Brazil occurred in the Amazon, where we also have the the most uh, forest to begin with. We saw a 15% increase there with plenty of clear-cut deforestation, as well as some fire scars. But perhaps more dramatic was the primary forest loss that we saw in the Pantanal, which was 16 times higher in 2020 than in 2019. And most of that is due to forest fires that happened in that region. We see a big impact of the fires on tree cover in Australia. We actually found a nine times increase in 2020. 20 uh, tree cover loss compared to 2018 before the fires happened. So we saw in places like Russia, uh, where there was a more active fire season this year, that the rate of tree cover loss was quite high compared to historical data. But Canada, on the other side of the world, had a really low fire season. And so we see that reflected in a very low rate of tree cover loss as well. So that's what the data says, but what does it all mean? For analysis, I spoke to Frances Seymour, Distinguished Senior Fellow at WRI. I asked her if the figures were especially worrying after a COVID-wracked year when much of the world economy ground to a halt. 
That's right. And that's pretty alarming. You know, in a year when overall economic activity was depressed by the pandemic, the forest loss numbers just continued to go up. You know, other things that we see is that there was a sharp uptick of forest loss in Brazil. And due to the size of Brazil's forests, that really drives the global numbers. I'm really concerned that we're seeing an increasing amount of forest loss due to the effects of climate change itself, which suggests we may be seeing something of a positive feedback loop. You know, these numbers are a climate emergency, given the amount of carbon that tree cover loss releases into the atmosphere. It's a biodiversity crisis because so much of the world's biodiversity is in tropical forests. And it's a humanitarian disaster, both due to the direct impacts on the communities in the forest, but also all of the communities that depend on the climate regulation that that forests provide. And I feel like, you know, we ring the alarm bell every year, but uh, we're still losing forests at a rapid clip. Are there any discernible impacts from the COVID crisis that you can read in the data or is it just, you know, more of the same despite COVID? You know, we're not seeing any consistent patterns in terms of the overall variation in in tree cover loss from prior years. But it may be that we should have expected that because the direct and indirect drivers of deforestation are quite different in different places. And the likely impacts of the pandemic could pull in opposite directions depending on those different drivers. So for example, The limited mobility of law enforcement officials could lead to an uptick in illegal forest clearing in some places, while in other places, a drop in commodity prices might lead to a slowdown. But in fact, both of those impacts could be happening at the same place at the same time, leading to no overall change. But I think what we're really concerned about is that some of the effects of the pandemic and the the overall economic slowdown could have lag times. One that we flagged last year when we released the 2019 data is that governments might try to jumpstart their economies on the backs of forests. And in fact, some governments have already relaxed environmental regulations in recent months, you know, in an attempt to to increase investment. So we might see a jump in tree cover loss in the numbers released this time next year if governments are authorizing new projects now that will result in forest clearing in the coming months. Often, the publication of the tree cover loss data for a given year is just the start of a process of analyzing what's going on behind the numbers. So researchers all over the world will be using this data to conduct spatial econometric analyses to be able to tease out the impacts of these various factors, whether it's you know migration from cities to the countryside or changes in commodity prices or any number of things that, that could affect forest loss. But in the meantime, we don't want to sit on the data waiting until we have all the answers. When you get all the data, what are the key things that you've learned to look for over the two decades that this project has been going on? Well, I guess one thing that we've learned is to be cautious in labeling any particular year's results as a trend. Often it's tempting to seize on good news of tree cover loss going down. And, you know, in a country that's been struggling to control deforestation, you know, we want to celebrate success. But you know, one year doesn't make a trend. And so we have to be careful about declaring a turning point, which might be reversed in the following year. Another thing that we've been doing in recent years is focusing more on loss of primary tropical forests, not only because those forests are the most important in terms of the carbon storage function that they they play and the incredible biodiversity that they harbor, 
but also because when you lose a tropical primary rainforest, it really is deforestation. Not all tree cover loss is deforestation, but basically when you've cleared a tropical rainforest, it's not coming back in the relevant time frame. So it really is effectively a, a permanent loss. I guess uh, a last thing we've learned is how important it is to proactively communicate on why the data that we're presenting from the University of Maryland might show somewhat different numbers than uh, numbers from other sources, especially when those sources are governments of countries such as Brazil or Indonesia. Sometimes people have jumped to conclusions that, oh, well, if these numbers are different, one must be right and one must be wrong. But in fact, the differences can be largely explained by things like differences in the time interval being reported, differences in the spatial resolution of the analysis, or differences in the methods in analyzing the data. And in fact, this year, the different analyses are, are quite consistent directionally in terms of showing forest loss going up or down. I, I understand that you're very reluctant to talk about trends, even when you've got a multi-year pattern. But in Indonesia, the story has looked relatively positive for a few years now, and that seems to be echoed in its neighbor, Malaysia. Uh, can you put a bit of meat on those bones? Absolutely. Well, the first thing to say is that we should certainly welcome the continued reductions um, in this region as, as these forests in Southeast Asia are some of the most biodiverse areas on the planet. And, you know, while we were hesitant to declare a trend after two years, you know, or even three years, you know, four years is pretty convincing that, you know, something's going on. And in Indonesia, the fact that the forest loss in areas covered by the government's moratorium on, on forest clearing is lower than forest loss outside those areas really suggests that government effort, you know, government regulation, law enforcement, you know, has something to do with it. I also note, and this, this would be you know, maybe a, an example of, of drawing a conclusion prematurely, but I do want to note that two of the provinces that have particularly significant decreases in forest loss this year are East Kalimantan and Jambi in Indonesia. And both of these provinces have multi-stakeholder initiatives underway specifically to address deforestation. And both of them are linked to the prospect of performance-based finance under Red Plus, you know, reducing emissions from deforestation and forest degradation um, under the, the Paris Agreement. So it, the, these could offer glimmers of hope that some of our, our international initiatives are, are bearing fruit. At the same time, um, I should hasten to say that the consistency with the patterns in Indonesia and the patterns in Malaysia is quite striking, suggesting that factors that the two countries have in common um, may also provide important explanatory variables. So those might include, you know, weather, because, you know, unusually wet weather can depress forest cover loss from fires. Um, they face similar commodity prices for the, the palm oil that they both export. And they also are, are both subject to efforts by private companies to get deforestation out of their supply chains. So, you know, the, the common patterns in, in tree cover loss decreases in the two countries may be related to those three factors as well. Uh, just very quickly on that, if, if you are able to identify that certain policies may be having an impact or certain interventions, does that suggest that you then can then almost put together a toolkit that can be applied elsewhere in the world? Or are conditions so different between places that that's not really applicable? You know, the answer is both. I think, you know, increasingly with this, you know, spatial econometric analysis that we have, we're, we're getting pretty good at being able to predict what kinds of policies will result in, you know, what kinds of, of patterns of tree cover loss. We, we know 
you know, what will accelerate deforestation and we know what will slow deforestation. And the classic example is building a road into a rainforest almost inevitably leads to, to forest clearing um, to the right and left of, of the road. But I do think that um, despite uh, differences, where the causes of uh, tree cover loss are similar across countries, there may well be lessons learned about you know, what one country can do that are transferable to other countries with similar drivers. In Indonesia and Malaysia, recent tree cover loss um, over the last 20 years, a lot of it has been due to the expansion of oil palm plantations. And to the extent, for example, that this year we see some of the uptick in tree cover loss in Cameroon is due to oil palm plantations, maybe some of the same policy tools to address that particular driver would be applicable from one reason to another. But if the causes are completely different, you know, for example, where maybe um, subsistence agriculturalists are, are responsible for deforestation, then the policy responses would be different. Moving across the Indian Ocean to Africa, what's the situation in the Congo Basin? Well, once again, deforestation in the Congo Basin is primarily driven by subsistence agriculture. You know, small farmers chipping away um, at the, the edge of the rainforest or, you know, clearing small patches you know, for feeding their families. And frankly, that driver of deforestation is one of the most difficult challenges that we face globally because clearly a law enforcement approach targeted at people who have no alternatives just, just simply isn't, isn't acceptable or appropriate. And yet um, providing those farmers alternative ways of making a living other than clearing the forest is quite difficult because it requires a, a significant revolution in how rural economies are organized. And it includes interventions such as you know, securing land tenure and providing access to clean energy because a lot of this forest degradation is due to you know, search for wood fuel but also providing economic incentives to protect the forests and economic alternatives to, to clearing the forests. So it's going to take a concerted effort to put those various pieces into play to address the conditions of what's driving tree cover loss in those areas. Uh, moving from subsistence agriculture to areas that have seen a lot of impact from commercial farming, in parts of Latin America where Colombia, Bolivia and Peru where the, the Andes go down and start to hit the Amazon basin. There seems to be a lot of activity in those areas. And am I right in thinking that that is commercial farming that's driving that? Yes and no. I mean, first of all, let me just step back and say that deforestation caused by the pressures of commercial farming is a continuation of a story that we've watched unfolding for, for decades. And um, we're able to clearly see that markets for globally traded commodities are ultimately what's driving a very large portion of tropical forest loss. And in fact, new analysis just put out last month by my colleagues at Global Forest Watch shows that just seven agricultural commodities, you know, cattle, palm oil, soy, cocoa, rubber, coffee, and plantation wood fiber, accounts for more than a quarter of global tree cover loss from the first 15 years that we started doing this analysis from, from 2001 to, to 2015. So clearly commercial farming is a key driver globally. And you know, we've been trying to address that driver in, in various ways, which we can, we can talk about later. But in the three countries that you specifically mentioned, you know, each one has a, a specific you know, variation on the, on the broader story. So it's important to differentiate. For example, in Colombia, you know, Colombia is still dealing with a very high level of illegal forest clearing, um, especially for cattle pasture, often for speculative purposes, that came in the aftermath of the peace agreement several years ago and the continuing effort to reestablish you know, central government control 
under a lot of areas that were, you know, had not been under that control. So that's kind of a, a unique situation. Um, in Peru, the uh, satellite imagery suggests that most of the clearing is in smaller patches rather than for large commercial enterprises. So it's more, you know, likely to be individual farmers than, than the larger companies. And in Bolivia, as last year, uh, the high rate of, of forest loss, which actually moved Bolivia above Indonesia in the top three list for the first time ever, is largely the, the result of fires. Now, fires are certainly connected to commercial farming because often you know, forests are cleared prior to the establishment of new cropping areas. But I think there, there's also probably a story of why these fires are increasingly getting out of control um, that we can talk about. But that the last two years in Bolivia, fires have been a big part of the story. When you talk about fires, then that refers to something that you were talking about earlier on in this conversation about uh, about the feedback loops that can come in thanks to climate change, where you have wetlands drying out and so on and becoming more susceptible to fires. Is that correct? The thing that I find alarming in this year's data is how many different examples we have of tree cover loss that is plausibly linked to the effect of climate change itself on forests. You know, we have deforestation as a major contributor to the carbon in the atmosphere that leads to global warming, but then global warming in turn is leading to, on average, you know, hotter, drier conditions in forest areas, which make them more susceptible to fire and other impacts that leads them to be more vulnerable to releasing more emissions into the atmosphere. So you have this positive, vicious circle that is quite dangerous um, for the climate as well as for the local people who, who rely on forests for their you know, safety and, and well-being. And so what we're seeing um, increasingly is fires in places that didn't used to burn. I mean, one of the the big stories from Brazil this year compared to the previous year is that a lot of the the fires this year in Brazil were actually inside the forest. Now, we need to be clear, burning a humid tropical rainforest is really hard to do. I mean, they're called rainforests for a reason. And yet because of the hotter, drier conditions, fires that used to be contained on the edge of the forest are spreading into the forest and, and going out of control. And I think the one that's that's most alarming was these enormous fires in the Pantanal. I mean, the Pantanal is a wetland. You know, it's a wetland. And yet it nevertheless, you know, burned in a huge area. Um, we saw fires, you know, again in Australia, in Siberia. I mean, just all over the place. That's a that's a scary, a scary indicator. But in addition to fires, there are other indicators of climate change affecting forests. So we've seen um, increased beetle infestations in some temperate forest areas leading to forest loss. And in Central America, you know, a heavy hurricane season, you know, led to a lot of blowdown of of forests. So all over the world, we're, we're seeing forests, you know, suffer from climate change, even while there are our best bets to avoid catastrophic climate change. So it just really brings home the point that forests themselves are vulnerable if we aren't successful in cutting emissions from all sources as quickly as we can. And the data continues to show that indigenous control of land in many areas seems to lessen the levels of uh, tropical tree cover loss. Is this under threat? Absolutely. As you say, the, the science is clear that the presence of indigenous peoples is associated with reduced tree cover loss 
and that increasing the tenure security of indigenous peoples has a, a reinforcing effect on that, that maintenance of, of tree cover. Unfortunately, we continue to see the kinds of incursions into indigenous territories that we saw in last year's numbers. So, for example, in Brazil, you know, seeing some continuing chipping away at the forests that are within indigenous territories. And although we didn't see a significant increase this year, the current rate is totally unacceptable and, you know, for all kinds of reasons. And so is, is a matter of particular concern. And we need to be doubling down on supporting indigenous communities to manage those forests, you know, within their own territories. But it's important to note that these communities are also the victims of these impacts, the climate-induced impacts that we were just talking about in that there were several indigenous communities in the Pantanal who were affected by these wildfires that are you know, beyond anything that, that they've ever have, had to deal with traditionally. So yet another you know, reason for concern about this climate-induced tree cover loss. This data now extends back for two decades. And there's always been this presumption that once we start measuring environmental impacts, especially when there's serious as tropical tree cover loss and things like that, then we can start to find ways to basically recover the situation. And yet every year, the figures seem to get worse. Well, that's right. And um, it, it, we've got to keep from being discouraged because um, the, alter, the alternative is, is unthinkable. The, the increasing ability to both detect tree cover loss, which is important, and also to understand why it's happening are, are two very significant advances just, you know, um, over the last decade. And so we now know a lot better than we did just a few years ago how much forest is being lost and what is driving it. And so as a result, the international community has responded with a whole portfolio of actions to try to do something about it. And those actions include trying to restrict imports of timber that's been harvested illegally. We have major campaigns against companies that are trading in these um, commodities linked to deforestation, you know, such as palm oil or soy or, or beef, and getting them to commit to get deforestation out of their supply chains. We have, under the Paris Agreement, a mechanism for financially rewarding countries that are able to reduce their rates of deforestation. So we have all of these mechanisms, and there are a few glimmers of positive news here and there that show that some of these might start be starting to get a little bit of traction, as we discussed in Indonesia. But Overall, these efforts are just totally swamped by the continuing ability of individuals and corporations to make more money by clearing the forest rather than by protecting it. And so we really need to shift the balance of incentives to both private sector actors and to the governments that have the regulatory levers in their hands to really make a, an abrupt change from losing forest to actively restoring it because all the science is clear that we have to do that to avoid catastrophic climate change. Francis Seymour with a firm call to action off the back of the 2020 tree cover loss figures from Global Forest Watch. You can go and look at the data yourself on globalforestwatch.org, where you can dig around in satellite maps that can include anything from up-to-date fire alerts to historical trends on primary forests. These WRI podcasts are now available on Spotify, along with SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and all good podcast apps. And of course, on our website, wri.org. I'm Nicholas Walton. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now. <laughs>